That guitar riff from the band Ramstein or Romstein, however you want to pronounce it. When it's Americanized, it's Ramstein. Wildcat Insider. I can't. I don't know how they would say that in German. Sage, do you know German? No. Oh, okay. Troy? Not enough. Gosh dang it. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, Sage Williams with us all week. No big Steve. I don't know where he's at. Being lazy somewhere, I suppose. <laughs> Working on a computer. Playing, vi- playing video yeah, playing games. Playing video games. Sage might be able to track him down that way. I mean, I play with him sometimes. <laughs> do you? Yeah. What do you, a, what a do you guys play? We play Warzone. Oh, really? on, on what? I play on PS4. I think he also does. Yeah. It's Xbox is where it's at. I don't like the controller. See, I don't like the PS4 controller. I I was a PlayStation guy for a while, but that was until I transitioned to the Xbox 360. And I was like, I like this better. Well, the 360 was a pretty good console for Xbox. I didn't know Sage was a gamer. Have yep. you, do you do you ever play like any sports games at all? I'm not really into sports games. I know I played like Madden with my brothers before. Um my dad liked to play golf games. Of like, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sports games have just, I don't think they have aged well. I, it, te- when it comes to the actual visual of the game, it's beautiful. It's way better than what it used to be. But the game itself, it just, I just think they were way better back in the day. NBA Jam. Too many things have been put in them, bells and whistles wise. And then someone like me who then tries to sit down and play Madden, you know, having basically unseen, you know, sight unseen for a long time, you're left going, how the heck do I do this? I think sports games peaked with the last NCAA football game. Quite possibly. And Madden just doesn't get better to me. They're, they're, they're always glitchy. Oh. They, they, they haven't gotten better over the years. They probably peaked at the same time. The fact that. EA has gotten lazy with Madden, and so many of the same templates are used year to year to year is rather telling. Yeah, EA Sports is is very lazy. I, I would say they're probably actually putting more effort, um, not so much like into Madden anymore. It's, um, oh gosh, what's what did EA Sports, it was like a Warzone game that they put out. Like, they've put a lot of work into that. Um, I can't think of what it's called. Uh, but it's a free game. Sage is on it. I don't know why. I used to play it, and it was fun. Until Call of Duty came out with Warzone, and then it kind of changed the game. It's also kind of like, um, oh, gosh, I'm completely blanking on the name. You're not going to get help from me. I um, Apex <laughs> Battlefield? Yes, Apex. Yes. <laughs> EA Sports came out with that, and that's like a that's a big one for. I him. mean, come on, you're talking to the guy who played the first iteration of John Madden football on a PC. Yeah, back when it was known as Electronic Arts. What else did they come out with recently? I, yeah, EA Sports it just hasn't hasn't done it for me lately. The NHL games are too hard. FIFA's still good. I still like FIFA. I I think FIFA might be their best game now. But the NHL games are really weird. Anyway, 
If you look at Aoka Lee's performance, the 61 points, you thought you're maybe you're seeing a game of NBA Street. Uh, <laughs> but no, it was a legit game. Found the, found the cheat codes. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It was a, you, you turn the difficulty all the way down and. Aokali, you could tear it up with anybody probably, but when you got the best player in the country, Aokali, she tears it up with 61 points. And I, I look deeper in the numbers because I think it's it's appropriate to not only tip your cap to Aokali, but also a performance that's probably going to be forgotten by Nigel Pack. And Nigel's 35 points against the Kansas Jayhawks who knocked down these incredible shots. But I wanted to kind of look deeper into Aokali's numbers, which K-State led that game wire to wire. They got to a 15 nothing lead. Very early in the game, if you ask yourself, what can you do in 13 seconds? Aokali could probably score 18, uh, eight points in 13 seconds or something like that, as uh, her, her move to the basket is so quick and efficient. That was her 13th double-double this season. 61 points, 12 rebounds, 4 blocks, a steal, and she played 35 minutes. And she wasn't coming out of that game until she got the record. I don't. The, we never asked after the game, how tired were you? Were you gassed playing 35 minutes and playing that full stretch of coming back in for the second half of play and not leaving till two and a half minutes to go? Now, the 61 points, obviously everybody knows by now. You've all seen the highlights. You've seen everybody on social media talking about it. An NCAA Division I record. Passing the 60 points that was held by two players. Cindy Brown of Long Beach State in the 1986-87 season. And then Rachel uh, Banham of Minnesota, she tied the record in the 15-16 season. But the Banham record, that was done in two overtimes. So Aoka Lee not only passed that in regulation, but she did surpass the by one point, Sydney Brown, who also did it in regulation, but all the way back in the 86-87 season. So you're talking about a record that stood for 35 years mm-hmm. that Aokali was finally able to surpass. And I said in the first hour, what she did in that game is nothing different than what she's done all season long. It's the same move. It's the same style of play. The post-entry lob... Every, it was the bread and butter of K-State basketball that, for some reason, the number 14 team in the country had no chance of stopping. Not a chance. In their dreams. And they're probably seeing Aokali in their nightmares now after scoring 61 points. So that also broke the Big 12 record of 50 points held by Brittany Griner, who scored. I made a mistake in the wide interview. I said nine seasons or 11 years. It was nine seasons ago when Brittany Griner scored 30, uh, 50 points in her senior year here in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And Aoka Lee breaks that by 11. And then, of course, she broke her own school record of points in a single game as she scored 43. That was the previous record. Of most points scored in a game in K-State history, 43. And Ilkley breaks that by 18 points. Consider this. We talk an awful lot in sports about the number of shots that it takes for players to put up big numbers. You kind of expect what we saw out of Kobe Bryant to put up big, big numbers in terms of shots to get big scoring numbers. 
Russell Westbrook, same style of player, just doesn't hit the shots nearly as much as what Kobe did. Brittany Griner did it by going 22 of 30. It wasn't a matter of putting up a 23 of 30. 23 of 30. A huge number of shots. No, this was in their offense. This was played exactly the way that Jeff Mitty wants them to play and involve her. And that involvement yesterday was that the opportunities were there for her to take those shots, get them, and she cashed them in. That's that's tremendous. To go that efficiently on a day is is huge. I wanted to do some I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to find out exactly what else did Aokali break yesterday. She Oklahoma's made, pride. Yeah, Oklahoma's pride. Like I mentioned, they're having nightmares. They don't want to see Oakley <laughs> in Norman later on in late February. I think it's late February or early March. But um, so Aokali made 23 field goals. That broke the K-State record, a record that stood for 43 years. Jeez. 23 made field goals in a game. The previous record, if anybody wants to take a guess of how many – Field goals were made, the previous record. Field goals in a single game by one player. Mm. It's, I mean, you're never going to guess. I was you say, might get lucky. But. That was before I was in school, so even even before the old man was in school here. So uh, I, I don't know. 19 made field goals by Leanne Wilcox, December 22nd, 1978. Wow. Is how long that record stood until Aokali makes four more. Wow. And that game was against Pfeiffer. I've never heard of Pfeiffer. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer? Uh, uh, no. The field goal record in a conference game was 16. No Wildcat had made more than 16 until Aokali made 23. By the way, who held that 16 record? Aokali. She did it last year against Oklahoma. Uh-huh. But that game was in Norman. She left the game with 2.37 to go, and K-State was up 88-61. Aokali had 61 points at the time, obviously. But Oklahoma had 61 points at the time. Once again, at the time, the nation's leading offensive scoring team was Oklahoma, and they're now down to number two after being held to 65 points the the season's low. But Aokali now with that 61-point game is now at – 25 and a half points a game. That's second in the nation. And now Aokali is 13th all time in points at K State with 1,419. She is 13th in rebounds, 755. And yesterday she passed Nicole Oldie in blocks for third all time with 206. Marlies Gibson and Brianna Lewis are the two players in front of her. Still a lot of work to do to catch up to Brianna Lewis. But also, we need to tip the cap to Nigel Pack because Nigel Pack also had a very special game. I, I know we haven't talked a ton about that game, but when a player goes off for 61, that's the headline. Right. But if K-State – here's the deal. Why in the world is Nigel Pack sharing the Player of the Week honors in the Big 12 with Ochai Abaji? Nigel Pack was better this week. He was. And he was better than Ochai Abaji in, uh, in Manhattan on Saturday. But the Big 12 is protecting their basketball darling, just like the referees did on Saturday. I said it. 
But uh, Ochai Abaji in the game did finish in 36 minutes, 10 of 18 from the floor, 29 points and 8 rebounds. But Nigel Pack goes 12 of 18 from the floor, goes 8 of 12 from 3 with 35 points. Three steals, four rebounds, a couple of assists. Nigel Pack also, he puts himself up there with a couple of greats. Not to mention, this is the second time in his career he made eight three-pointers. But uh, Nigel also set a new career high with 35 points. And the 35 points tied for the seventh most in a Big 12 game by a cat. Tied for fourth for a sophomore in school history. And it's the best performance against the Jayhawks since Jacob Pullen 2011 when he scored 38. And I tell you what, if K-State wins the game it turns into a legendary performance by Nigel Pack. Mm-hmm. But because K-State didn't win the game, it probably won't be seen that way. Mm-hmm. It won't live on like it should. So that's why we're talking about it right now. But it's the most points by a cat against KU, like I mentioned with Jacob Pullen, but Pack's eight made three-point field goals tied his career high, second most in any game in school history, and it's tied for the most in a conference game. He ties with Steve Henson, who made eight against Iowa State in 1990. Saw it. And how about this name, Cortez Groves? You remember that name? Boy, that was a that was a flashback hearing that one today. That was against Texas A&M, February 23rd of the year 2000. The only Wildcat to make more in a game. Ooh, I know this. Yes. I know this. But do you know how many? Fourteen. You probably saw it earlier. Yeah, Askia Jones, 14 in the Fresno State game, 94, (laughs) NIT. Nigel Pack was hitting some insane shots. And what I loved about K-State's offense in the first half, the ball movement. Guys were cutting. They were attacking the basket. It wasn't just Marquise Noel. And it got... You know, Nigel just a little bit of time to set up, take a shot. He hit some corner threes that were incredible, and he was on fire. 8 of 12 for the game is an insane performance against the Kansas Jayhawks. And it's amazing that it wasn't enough. If there's one team that could beat you when your best player hits 35 points, it's, it's KU. And I don't know if the pressure just got to him or if it was just coaching that was telling him, don't give full effort anymore. That is so annoying to me that K-State just did not have the, the impact, the, the drive, the, the pedal-to-the-metal effort that they had in the first 15 minutes of the game. That ball movement disappeared in the second half, didn't it? I mean, there was ball movement, but you just didn't see the effort in the first 15 seconds mm-hmm. of the shot clock. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of holding the basketball. And then move it. And then moving. It works sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. It, and you can't let KU just – I said it in Mitch Palm. You can't allow KU, who stati- in some stats is the worst team in the Big 12 defensively. I said it like it is the same thing in the Texas game. You couldn't let Texas be good offensively. You couldn't let KU be good defensively. And they were. In many ways, it's much like – well, and we saw it in the NFL this weekend. Teams playing prevent defense – in K-State's case, they were trying to prevent Kansas from mounting a comeback, and so they slowed the game down, the tempo, 
and the energy just weren't there the same way. We got Gene Taylor coming up next. You're listening to Wildcat Insider on the on K Man. Wildcat Insider on K-Man. Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale. Sage Williams is with us today as well. And we're now joined by KSAT Athletic Director, and that's Gene Taylor. Gene, last time we spoke to you, you're in Indianapolis. So what's the uh, recap of your trip to the national championship game? How fun was it? It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, obviously, it was a you know, good game. I, I, I think, uh, I don't know, a lot of people had Georgia pegged. I, I certainly thought they were the best team in the country. Um but it's you know a great atmosphere. You know it was a lot of fun, and as a committee member, you get a few extra perks, which makes it even nicer. What is it? I don't know if this question will make sense to you, but like you know, K State fans have never been to a national championship game. Like, what is the buzz around of a national championship game? Are you know fans are on edge? Is it how, how different is it? You know, it's <clears throat> obviously you've got you know both teams, schools, fans, and there's, there's just a lot of excitement and energy, uh, uh, particularly in the city of Indianapolis where everything is right there, all the hotels, all the restaurants. And if you go out to grab some dinner or whatever, there's, you know, the team colors in this particular case, both wearing a version of red uh, everywhere. And, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of energy and excitement. And as you, you know, as you walk into the game, you have people chanting for one team or the other and, you know that a lot of the, obviously just the pregame ceremony, but by the time kickoff hits, it's it's a pretty pretty raucous atmosphere and just just a lot of energy. And whether if, even if you're not a fan, you you can kind of feel the energy and you get caught up in it as well. Speaking with Case Athletic Director Gene Taylor, well, pretty fun atmosphere this weekend with a pair of games in Bramlage Coliseum. The K State men hosting Kansas, and of course the Oklahoma game yesterday. The 14th ranked team in the country gets. Just slaughtered by K State with Aoka Lee scoring sixty-one points. I saw you uh, on the court after the game, but seeing that take place, how special of the moment for this was that for you? You know, it, it was unbelievable. I, I, at the time, I guess I knew she was having a heck of a game, and just watching, you know, how she how she plays the game, and the fact that you know a lot of times she'll get the ball inside and she'll get double and triple team on a regular basis, and you know has managed to come up with you know it's not just layups. I mean, she'll turn around and short, do a short jumper. She'll shoot a hook. She'll you know, have some really nice moves in there, but equally important is the way the the, the guards and you know other teammates got her the ball. And next thing you know, you look up and she's got forty, and next thing it's fifty, and you're like, oh my goodness. Um, and so when she got, I knew the fans were getting excited about sixty. I did not realize at the time that sixty-one was a record. I just figured our fans were getting excited, and when she hit sixty, uh, sixty-one, I guess uh, they went crazy, and then I re- then they made the announcement. So. I guess I even watching it wasn't aware of where she was headed in terms of an NSA record, but it was it was unbelievable. It was a tremendous effort by her, the team. Obviously, went over fourteen Oklahoma. Just you just don't. I mean, obviously, that's an NSA record for a reason. It's going to stand probably for a long time. It's funny about the record. I'm sure most people didn't know the record. Who has the most points in women's basketball Division One history in a game? Uh, to share kind of a funny story, a lot of us on the scores table. We're on our phones during timeouts trying to figure out what the record was and who has it, how close is Aoka Lee, can she get to the record? And she got there pretty comfortably with a, you know, about three minutes to spare, and she wasn't coming out of that game. It was certainly a, a, a just a great time if you were there. You'll never forget being at that game where Aoka Lee scores 61 points. As an athletic department, um, 
I don't know if you could speak on this, but is there a lot of requests to talk to Aokali from across the country wanting to talk to the player that set the new record? I'm sure there has been. I mean, obviously our, our media relations folks um, and, and probably handle all that. You know, they, the, the last night on uh, Scott Van Pelt, uh, they did a tremendous job of covering the whole the whole process of, you know, from the start to finish of the 61 points. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, and we're doing some, you know, ticket promotions around that. Uh, obviously we're going to, you know, certainly celebrate that as many ways as we can. And what makes it really even so special is she's just such a wonderful, humble young lady that uh, represents us very, very well. She's a tremendous student, all those things, but she's just so humble and kind. She stood there last night, I don't know how long, and was signing autographs and taking pictures with a lot of our fans, and particularly young fans. So um, I'm sure she's had a busy day and probably got some busy days dealing with the media because it's a it's a huge it's a huge accomplishment on on so many levels i gotta say aoka lee if there's one player that can handle that sort of attention and not let it affect them it's it's aoka lee because she is the definition of chill yeah she's the she's a chill person i asked her before the season like is it weird for you to take in all this praise and all this attention she's you know she's kind of Laughed it off. Said, "I, you know, I don't know." It gave me a real humble answer, yeah. and uh, that—that's what I really like about her. She can ha- handle that attention like I don't know if anybody else could. I don't know if I could handle something like that without getting maybe a little bit full of myself. She is not that kind of person. Um, we're speaking with Gene Taylor, athletic director of K State, to the men's side. Um, just a crushing defeat in the you know, last few seconds against the Kansas Jayhawks. They're down 17. They come back and win it in Manhattan. Crushing, yes, but also a great performance by Nigel Pack with 35 points. Yeah, it was. You know, and I think that's the thing as a, as a basketball team, you know, they need to realize, you know, every game uh, they've played, even shorthanded, they've been in. And then they, you know, beat a really good Texas Tech team at home and then go on the road and avenge a, a loss to Texas on the road. And so, and then to take a, a number seven ranked Kansas uh, as far as it did, that's that's where the crushing part comes in because you you have that you know in in your grasp and and, the, and not get it at home. You know they have to be able to recover from it. They got to go to Baylor on on uh, tomorrow night. Um, very good Baylor team again, and then and then going on the road to a, a SEC Mississippi team that you know you don't play a lot of those teams. I don't know. I think they're right around five hundred right now. So. They got to get over it and not let it affect them and get mentally ready to play Baylor. Uh, but this team is good enough to win a lot of games, and they've proven that. Even though they've, you know, they're in a little bit of a hole at two and five right now. Um, I talked to Commissioner Boldby while I was at the NCAA convention. I said, you know, if we get to five hundred, he goes, Gene, if any team's five hundred in this league, they're they're going to get in the NCAA tournament just yes. because how difficult this team, this league is. If K State. If it wasn't you know that close and it did come down to the final seconds and K State was to win the game, I was asked a lot about this and I was tweeted at, would we have heard Sandstorm? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, that's been a really source of frustration. Uh, the, the the chant was yeah. overly uh, heard and it didn't matter what we played, yeah. whether it was you know the Wabash or whatever music, and that's getting very frustrating. Uh, we've actually talked about it as a staff. It, it needs to stop. It's embarrassing. My email inbox, you know, you've got families with kids that come to the game, and and we've we've tried many, many, many things. Everything from messaging from the athletes to messages from the coaches. This goes back to long before I got here. 
I was just sent some information of, of when Frank Martin was here, and he sent out you know notes to the students, and it just for some reason doesn't. Now it was obviously more aggressive, I think, because it was KU, but. I, I don't know what we have to do, but we have to come up with something because it is it needs to stop. It's literally an embarrassment for the students. I don't know why they do it. Uh, they do it for teams that aren't named KU. Yeah. And I know that the other schools around the country have inappropriate chance, but we will have to come up with something at some point if it doesn't stop. And it's really an embarrassment to all of us. One of the arguments is, well, they're just students being students. They're kids being kids. How do you counter that argument? Well, they're also, you know, kids at K-State, and that's not who we are. And you have, you have young kids there. You have, would you, if your, mother, if your grandmother was sitting next to you, would you say that to your grandmother? <laughs> would you say that to a four-year-old that's a niece or nephew? I would hope not. Um, and I think that's what they have to realize, that it's not enjoyable. It doesn't make us look good. It's, it's inappropriate. It's unsportsmanship. All those things. And then, we can't enjoy, we can't do Sandstorm, we can't play some of the, and, and guess what, that's what pumps up the kids, right? It pumps up our players and our athletes. And if we can't do these things, then it's going to be a disadvantage to us in our ability to win some of these games, and, and particularly close games. And I just, I don't understand the attraction to it and why they think it's cool to do that. I really don't. Yeah, and I, I feel for you guys, because that's a hard thing to try to stop. Uh, not just because you know it's a student sanction, but uh, it's been, it's also been happening for a really long time. I mean, it's happened before you got here, Gene. I remember um, I shared this story last week. If you go back to the 2010 KU game, uh, that was when College Game Day was here. It was a big game, and there was some calls not going K State's way. And all of a sudden, here comes the chant without music, and it was very loud. Uh, and ever since then, I think it's been happening. So it's been happening for a long time. That's the thing, the longevity of it. Twelve seasons, and it hasn't gone away. That's going to be really tough to to try to yeah. to end. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, we we talked about some pretty drastic options this morning. That you know, we're not. I'm not going to say what those would potentially be, but at some point, if it doesn't, I, I you know, we we just got to do something. And and I would hope the students could gather. And it's not just the students. I mean, there's other. You know, fans in there that are joining in, and it's just it comes so loud because the student section is right there. But I would hope maybe they can police themselves a little bit uh, and understand just how bad it sounds and how bad it looks on particularly you know whether it's national TV or anything. And there's I, I saw parents grabbing kids and leaving them the game, and it was a heck of a game. And that's just not who we are, K State. So we got to figure something out. Speaking with Gene Taylor, athletic director of K State. Brian LePac, um hired from within to become the new uh, tight ends fullbacks coach, taking over for Jason Ray. Uh, do you know about the process of that hiring specifically on if there were a number of guys interviewed or if it was just, hey, coach liked what he saw in the in the Texas Bowl? You know, I don't, I'm sure it was a probably a combination thing. Obviously, coach was out at the national convention uh, along with Coach Klein. Um, so I'm sure they t- have been talking to people, but I, I promise you that that was probably part of it. Is you know they had a chance to watch him, and you know, they've been watching him really all year long. He's a really really smart guy. Um, you know, really was is I think showed his ability to coach just this year. Even you know as as an you know uh, an analyst or whatever, his knowledge of the game. He's and so I think they he had a chance to prove himself, and then obviously the bowl game. But I'm, I'm guessing they talked to other candidates uh while they're out at the convention and it just by the end of the day felt that he was you know a great opportunity for us to move him from internally 
Uh, I know they've still got a, a the wide receiver position coach out there that they're still looking to, to hire. So, you know, good for Brian, and we're excited about it. Speaking of the convention, the big news, of course, came down late in the week, and that is that the uh, members have approved a new constitution. What exactly is that going to mean going forward for a school like K-State? Well, I think it's not just about K-State. What it does is it's, it simplifies a lot of stuff that was in the original constitution. I think the original constitution was you know, 40 pages long. I think this was reduced down to 12. took some really detailed language out. But what it does, now the work really begins because a lot of the governance stuff that would have typically been in that constitution now will go into the actual division one. So some of the language in about all three divisions, now we can create that for division one. Division two can create their own, some of their own governance language in division three. So they've got a committee that's going to be working on that, has been working on that. And that's going to be more of the kind of the meat of the conversation about how we govern ourselves. What are some of the rules we're going to keep? What are some of the rules we're going to, you know, take out, um, try to streamline some of the things we have at the division one level. So I think the bigger thing is what's coming next with, with the more, uh, governance stuff within division one. One aspect of it I know that, uh, has lent to discussion is that there's the thought that this is a move towards more autonomy for the power five conferences versus the group of five. Do you see it that way? You know, I don't know. I think that's that would be obviously uh, something that's probably going to be part of the conversation. I mean, we have that now in a lot of areas in regards to what we can do at the at the autonomy five level. Uh, I also think that's a concern with the group of five, and you know, the, that it's going to be come down to there's a certain percentage. I think it's two thirds vote to get anything passed. So, I think we have to be very careful there to make sure we can continue to move forward uh, collectively together. Uh, but I, I do know that's certainly going to be part of the conversation once they get into the into some of these further further discussions. When I sit and I and I look at that and I think back to just even last summer with what took place with Oklahoma and Texas, that's the type of situation though that to me it could could blow up uh, what you all are wanting to do with with more autonomy because uh, if the egos get involved then you've got some issues that uh, that may never get settled uh, without there being fights yeah I, I guess that's uh you know again I think you know, there's so there's a lot of smart people uh, on these committees that and then it's a mix of of both autonomy five group of five you know um, FCS folks that are having these discussions and those committees are a little bit smaller and you know, I think cooler heads will prevail as they move through the process but um, you know they understand I think a lot of those schools understand that we do have uh, some ability to do some things that they don't that you know we might still be able to do and they, they understand that I think a big thing is going to be just make sure that, that whatever the revenue distribution is it doesn't go continue to lean more towards the group or the power five but so there's just so much work to be done and so many things to, you know, issues to face. It's going to be probably going to be a while before we get through all this. With Gene Taylor, K-State Athletic Director. All right, we'll end on this, Gene. A fun question here as we wrap up. I'm sure you watched us, at least tried to watch some playoff football over the weekend and caught the end of the Chiefs game, which was an insane finish against the Buffalo Bills. All right, who's making it to the Super Bowl? What's your official prediction? Well, I tell you, there were some fun games this weekend, that's for sure. You know, I... I uh... Well, there's going to be some new teams potentially. Um, you know, I got to be careful because obviously Kansas City, they'll have a lot of fans, a lot of friends. Uh, 
I, I just don't think Cincinnati can beat Kansas City. I, I, I just think Kansas City's got too much, even though there's there's some defensive injuries. On the other side, I think the Rams playing a home game. I think it's going to be the Rams and Kansas City. That's my pick as well. I completely agree. Gene Taylor, Athletic Director for K-State. Appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Right, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. K-State AD Jane Taylor on Wildcat Insider. When we come back, oh, Coach Kleiman has added a quarterback to the 2022 class, which kind of heats things up a little bit, I think, when it comes to potentially a QB battle for not this season, upcoming season, but the season after. We'll talk more on that next here on Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider continues our final segment on a Monday evening at News Radio KMAN. Mitch had to duck out for a personal item on the schedule tonight, and as such, you're in the capable hands, or at least I hope semi-capable hands, of the old guy. Troy Coverdale back with you. Sage Williams uh, on the other side of the glass as we take you up to the top of the hour again. Chiefs Kingdom coming up at 6 o'clock here on News Radio KMAN. The Jeff Mitty Show tonight over on Sunny 1025, also at 6 o'clock. Boy, I'll tell you, Powercat uh, Sports Grill was busy last night at 5.30, just ahead of the Chiefs kickoff. Well, I, I picked up two pizzas <laughs> to take home, and they were busy. It was a great day uh, for them Coupled with, of course, K-State women's basketball and the success of the Wildcats yesterday there and everybody getting ready then to watch the Chiefs game. Mitch alluded to the likely pickup of another quarterback for the upcoming recruiting class, the class of 2022. Adrian Lara is a 5'7 rating out of rivals, so three-star Quarterback pro style, quarterback 6'1", 215 out of Goodyear, Arizona's Desert Edge High School. He happened to be in town. Well, I shouldn't say happened. He was in town for the weekend, including being in attendance at the KUK State football game as part of the recruitment process. And that helped push, apparently, Laura to become a Wildcat when the signing day comes up here in just a matter of about a week and a half. He originally had committed to Washington State, but with all of what took place with Nick Rolovich and the vaccine issue out there, reopened his recruitment, and K-State got very active very quickly in wanting to get him added to their roster of uh, incoming recruits for 2022 uh this past season well i should say the four years of his career in high school more than 10,000 yards passing 117 touchdowns his team won over 75 percent of its games he's been an all 5a selection first team as a junior and threw for uh threw for a completion percentage over 60 it means that the quarterback room for K-State with his addition will consist of Adrian Martinez, Will Howard, Jaron Lewis, Jake Rubley, and now you add to the mix Adrian Laura. 
a very loaded quarterback room. And as Mitch put it to me on his way out, what does that exactly mean in terms of Jake Rubley, for example? Well, Jake, having sat out last year, of course, highly touted coming out of Colorado originally, a front-range guy uh, that I was familiar with, but wound up at Ankeny, Iowa for his final season because of coronavirus issues and the way that uh, Chassa in Colorado elected to go about uh, scheduling games the fall of 20. And so Rubley redshirt this entire season. He dealt with some injuries early on, but also served uh, as scout team quarterback throughout a good, good bit of this year. Now you add to the mix Laura, who apparently was really sold uh, and felt that he belonged with this program at K-State. And you've got two exceptional young arms that are sitting in the offing for K-State. Adrian Martinez, of course, at the, at the top of the list this coming season, at least in everybody's minds going into the fall because of his experience at Nebraska and the fact that he is a grad transfer but you have Will Howard still in the program again too and and the guy who has been the number two for so long and and you know two seasons now and and has been in position where he has started games so you've got that quarterback battle towards the top Will we see a quarterback battle and progression start to develop with Rubley and Laura? And what kind of competition will this be between the two of them as we move towards uh, the start of next season? And, and add to that, how soon do we see either on the field potentially at K-State? I think that will be an interesting thing to watch and see as well. So much of that's going to really be on what Will Howard's development is this coming season, especially if even if uh, he's a backup to Adrian Martinez the whole year, how does Howard develop or does he get moved past by either of these two young players? I know that that has been the thought process of a number of fans, at least looking at it, that, that Rubley really should be the the guy that we watch. Well, now you add Laura to the mix and and you will have a redshirt freshman and true freshman that are sitting there that are top 50 caliber quarterbacks at the time of their recruitment and signing and makes things very interesting in that quarterback room coming up for K-State. Again, Chiefs Kingdom just around the corner. The Jeff Mitty Show over on Sunny 1025. Appreciate K-State Athletic Director Gene Taylor for joining us this afternoon. Also, Wyatt Thompson. You'll hear Wyatt and Stan tomorrow night from Waco as the Wildcats match up with Baylor in the next game against a ranked foe here on News Radio KMAN. For Sage Williams, Mitch Fortner, I'm Troy Coverdale. Have a good evening.